Welcome to the Adoptee Thoughts Podcast. I am your host, Melissa Guida Richards, an author, adoptee, and mom. Each week, we will delve into the nuances of adoption, as well as tips for how to bring up difficult discussions in your adoptive family. And most importantly, we will not shy away from tough topics. So thanks for joining me today, and let's jump into your weekly dose of Adoptee Thoughts. Hello everyone, thanks for coming back and joining me tonight. I have to apologize that this episode is a little bit late. I had a a little bit of a family emergency. Uh, My father has cancer, my adoptive father has cancer, and it has affected his heart, so he recently had a heart attack, and we are all trying to deal with that, (laughs) among other things. Before we get started in today's episode discussing uh, Micah Steffer, the YouTuber who who quote-unquote rehomed her adoptive son, I wanted to just take a moment, let you all know that I am very saddened by the state of our country right now, and as a woman of color, I stand with Black Lives Matter. And this is a fight that we all need to chip in in whatever way we can to help make changes to the systemic racism uh, in our country. And it's a really sad time. And if you are an adoptee of color or you are a parent of an adoptee of color, I really hope that you are taking time to learn more and participate in ways that you can, uh, and any little bit you can to make uh, changes in times like these is beneficial. Uh, If you haven't done any research or you're unsure about things um, as an adoptive parent or even as an adoptee of color, I urge you to check out HeyTRA's Instagram page. She has lots of free resources for uh, adoptive families and I love her content it's very educational but also um, easy to understand and there are a bunch of other uh, black adoptees that are talking about these things and at times like these we need to elevate their voices because they uh, have the first-hand knowledge and uh, if you want to be an ally and you support (laughs) an end to racism and inequality, um, this is the perfect time to step up. Even if you can't go to protests, uh, I'm immunocompromised and I have two toddlers, so that's just not an option for me. I donated what I could um, and I am using my social media Uh, to elevate others' voices and post content and share and uh, talk about that. So those are just little ways that you can do things, just to give you an idea. uh, I'm planning on having uh, a black adoptee who uh, was raised by white parents, I believe, to come on the show sometime soon. We are just working out of time, so I hope you check that out. I will let you know when that will be coming out. Okay. Now, on today's today's topic, we are talking about the YouTuber slash influencer, white adoptive mom, and mom of, I believe, four children, biologically, Micah Stauffer, and her husband, I forgot his name, (laughs) and 
how they adopted a little boy from China. He was a little bit over one, I believe, when they adopted him. And they had already had their YouTube channel at that point, but it didn't start taking off until she posted a series of YouTube videos about the adoption process and what she was doing, how the doctors told her about the child's disabilities, um, and all of this, just information she put on a series of YouTube videos called, like, Adoption Journey China, something like that. They started gaining like, thousands upon thousands of followers, and they ended up with, like, over a million. They have channels on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, uh, all curated to support her brand. Um, as a mom influencer, but her channel didn't really take off until she decided to adopt from China. So she ends up going through with it. She chooses a child, and in one of her earlier YouTube videos, she discusses how the doctor had told her that Huxley was going to have some serious disabilities. And she alluded that the doctor made it seem like he was suggesting that she does not go through with it because of how serious the disabilities were. And they kind of explained that the doctor thought that it was going to get worse over time and he was going to have higher needs. And from the videos that she had been shown by the foster mother, that they didn't think it was a, an accurate representation of how he was going to develop. And in a essay interview on Parade, um, last year she, she talked about why she decided to go with adoption from China and how originally she had been looking at Ethiopia, but... The practices there had, there were strict rules, and I think some of the, the adoptions had gotten shut down, so she, she changed which country she was going to go to. And originally, she was a little dissuaded because they wanted to go for a quote-unquote simple adoption, which means she did not want to adopt a child with special needs. But she says that she discussed it with her husband, and then they consulted God, and how her heart opened. God softened our hearts, she said, enough to open their home to a child with special needs. And then she goes on to talk about how she saw his sad little face and um, pictures, and originally his file wasn't accessible to the agency she was using, so she paid this 500 or some dollar fee and had access to it and uh, got second opinions from doctors and those doctors went with what she th was believing that his disabilities weren't going to be as severe and then she said that they would be able to handle anything and that their love wasn't conditional and that they would love him forever. I'm of course paraphrasing but this is the gist of it. As an international adoptee, and an adoptee with disabilities, not the same as Huxley, when I heard this case, my heart broke. Like, I went from being extremely sad about this to also extremely angry. I was ranting about it to my husband. I texted some of my friends, 
And I just couldn't believe the gall of this woman to post a video about an update of their family in this perfect little shot if you got a chance to see the video I don't know if it's still up but she it was a video they were right in front of their beds they were her and her husband were both dressed in white um there was bright light streaming through the windows and then the bedspread was all white and just the picture perfect appearance of like innocence and you know after watching that that those colors were chosen deliberately even as she said that this was the most difficult video for her to post like she still micromanaged every little thing about that video and if you've ever seen like a crime video or like a law and order case like you you hear the the judges and the lawyers saying like don't wear that color it's too like incriminating like wear something neutral or whatever like to, to make sure you look innocent and that's that those were the thoughts that were going in my head as, as I was watching this as I was just watching and listening to this family explain that they didn't understand Huxley's diagnosis and that they were that severe. They tried to say that the adoption agency didn't come forth with all the information. And there was a lot of things that went behind closed doors that they didn't share with their followers on their YouTube page and whatever, and that they they didn't catch that on camera. And when it came down to it, they tried to say that Huxley showed more affection to other people, and he was saying, he's nonverbal, but in his body language, he was saying that he wanted to be with somebody else and that they found someone who had, who was a medical professional who could understand his needs and said that he was with a better family now, one that was more capable than them and how it broke their hearts to do this and that she felt really guilty and that he felt really guilty, but they kept saying how they tried everything. They tried therapists and, and, you know, ABA and whatever. But at at the end of the day, they kept going back to how they didn't know about his disabilities and how severe they would be. And since I had just watched that other video where she was explaining that the doctor was talking to her about how severe his disabilities could be, I just couldn't help but think, what bullshit. (laughs) Excuse my language, but... Those are my thoughts. So I was furious, and one of the ways I cope is I write. So I ended up writing an article for Insider. I don't know if you saw it, but um, it was titled, I was adopted outside of the U.S. and have disabilities. I'm tired of the savior narrative among white adoptive parents. Now, I'll also link that below for you to read. And I wanted to come on here and talk about why this was so important to me as an adoptee and why I wrote an essay. Now, I did get some comments back from it from adoptive parents and just random people that were sad that I felt this way and, um, but not everybody's circumstances are like mine and that, like, I'm giving adoption a bad name or whatever. <laughs> now, if you ever see an adoptee post anything, like, we get a lot of negative feedback. And I understand that it's difficult for adopted parents specifically to hear anything but praise or anything neutral. Um, it can be difficult to swallow. 
And that's because it's a natural instinct to be defensive of yourself. And now (laughs) when I referred to white saviors in this article, it obviously touched a, a sore nerve. And I get that. I get that. But if you're an adoptive parent, you really need to look into adoption and see what it was built off of, especially international adoption. And a lot of that came from, you know, uh, a history of going into third world countries or poorer countries and saving children from the circumstances that they're in. And those things were promoted in the media and um, the churches, you know, uh, going on mission trips and like how many times have you heard of a family a white family going on mission trips to a, a country in Africa or um, just another country and then seeing an orphan and then deciding they had to take him home with them or her now this is what many people call uh, a type of white savior uh, saviorism and it's One of the things that me and a lot of adoptees, not all, but a lot of adoptees are frustrated with and we want to limit and even end this type of thought because saying that you are going to be the savior or you plan on um, helping a child in need, like that's why you want to adopt and then promoting only that narrative, it, it takes away from the fact that adoption is nuanced and that is not the only reason why people adopt and that adoption isn't only a selfless act. Like, of course, some aspects of it are a little bit selfless, but there are other complicated and other reasons that people go into adoption. And that's often infertility. That's often for like a desire to, to have a baby. Um, most children adopted are under the age of one. And there are thousands of children in foster care that are over one years old. And there are thousands of children that stay in foster care that are available and that are free to be adopted because reunification wasn't an option. And yet they still stay in foster care because the majority of adoptive parents prefer babies. And one of the ways that you can adopt a baby more easily than waiting in um, especially the United States is by going to international adoption. And the rates have declined over time because rules have gotten more strict Um, There's been a little bit less child trafficking, but still countries like Ethiopia, for example, they just put more rules. I'm I'm not 100% certain that they stopped it completely, but like they have limited who is allowed to adopt. And even other countries like Russia, because of so many children are being adoptive in America and then abused or sex trafficked. And it's not all. It's not all cases at all, but it it happens. And that's because for a long time, there hasn't been enough oversight and resources put to supporting families after adoption. Now, getting back on track with the Micah Staver story, she said that, that the reason she 
and her family had come to that decision to rehome her son Huxley was because she didn't believe that they could give um, that child all that he needed. Now, I am not saying that she shouldn't have done that because, of course, rehoming was a better option than many of the other alternatives. Uh, that child could have ended up being abused or um, who knows? There could have been a million other worse options and I'm glad that they ha made a choice that potentially gave Huxley what he now needs. Now, the problem is we don't know where he is and um, there's a lot of cracks that children can fall into with rehoming because it is not regulated 100%. Of course, the best option would be to get the agency involved, get foster care involved, social workers or whatever, but there isn't a federal law that uh, makes it illegal to move children around that have been adopted and um, the families don't want them anymore or can't handle them anymore. So um, that's one of the biggest issues that a lot of adoptees have with that because a lot of times you think that a child is going to be rehomed, it's going to be in a better home and, it's and the child's going to be safer and happier. But Again, if you do not have the structures in place to watch over things like this, how are we sure that that child is not going to end up in a worse place where he's abused? And since the whole thing with the Huxley case was that it was all hush-hush, she didn't even address it until thousands of her followers were like, where's, where's Huxley? Like, what happened to him? How come you're going on vacation? How come you're doing this? Why aren't we seeing him in these videos? And the thing is, if we had it all put pressure on her and, you know, the media picked up these stories and whatever, like, would we have ever known? Would the police have ever contacted um, them and looked into it? And the answer is probably no. And for those of you who aren't aware, there's lots of different um, websites and places where people put pictures of children, their information, and... Um, try to get them new homes and those things aren't regulated there's other there's facebook pages dedicated to that there's craigslist pages dedicated to that and it's just a horrible thing that happens and then who's regulating that that child is is going to go to a safe environment who's there for that child now that he's been adopted or she has been adopted from another country and there's, it's still happening. And yes, like the cases aren't large. It's, it's only between one and I believe 5% of cases that are completely um, dissolved. But disruptions happen up to like 20%. And that's before the, the adoptions are finalized. So up to 20% of adoptions before they're finalized, the child is still had been in the adoptive parents' home for some time, the adoptions aren't going through. One of the biggest reasons that that happens is because adoptive families aren't supported afterwards or the supports that they need, the therapies and stuff that their child needs aren't affordable. So I know Micah, she mentioned that he had all these therapies and they tried everything and it didn't work and this and that. And this is coming from a pretty financially well-off family. 
in America, they are white, and they are saying that they do not have the resources to care for one of the children that they adopted. Now, why is that an issue for when they had all the resources and money available when they needed to spend thousands of dollars to go to China to pay the fees, to buy the plane tickets, to get all legal things done. But now, all of a sudden, this family does not have the support or the resources to take care of one child with autism and whatever else he may have. It just... It just doesn't add up for me. And I know it doesn't add up for a lot of people. And one of the things that bothered me is that my parents had no idea that I was going to have all these medical issues. They didn't know that they would have to spend thousands upon thousands of dollars for me in the hospital for surgeries and everything and medication. Um, I had a lot of issues with my stomach and migraines and all this stuff. And guess what? My adoption paperwork said I was a perfectly healthy child. And it's just like when you have a child biologically. You have children and you don't always know what may develop mentally, physically, at any point in their life. Anyone at any point in their life can possibly become disabled. You know, accidents happen. You know, autoimmune diseases happen. Things happen. But at the end of the day, when it comes to rehoming children, you don't see that as often with biological children. And I commend my parents a lot because my brother, he had had, is still dealing with substance abuse issues. And me with all my medical issues over the years, they, my parents did not know that this was gonna happen, that their children would do that. But at the end of the day, we were still their children. Were my parents perfect? No, not by any means at all. But they did their best. And that's all we can ask of parents is to do their best. But that does not excuse adoptive parents for not trying as hard as they would with their biological children. That does not excuse adoptive parents from criticism. Because you adopt a child does not excuse you or hold you to a, a lesser standard than if you were to have biological children. It does not make you a better person because you adopted a child or adopted a child with special needs. Did you do a good thing? Sure, you know, <laughs> adoption can be a very good thing if it's a good fit for the families and the families are you know, doing their best. But the idea that adopting a child makes you somehow better or great because you are giving into God's purpose or whatever it is you believe um, and going with a savior type of narrative. And then I've had adoptive parents tell me time and time again, like every time they they mention, or if it's obvious because it's a transracial adoption, people will go up to them and thank them. Like, wow, you did such an amazing thing. Thank you for doing that. Like, not everybody can do that. Uh, you know, your kids should be so grateful. They're so lucky to have you. 
There's the children, the adopted children, they're so lucky that they have you. And the reality is, is that child did not ask to be adopted, did not ask to have their original, their first families be unable to care for them. They did not ask to be in foster care or an orphanage or whatever. They did not knock on your door asking you to adopt them. If you're an adult and you adopt a child, that was your decision. And enforcing a savior narrative like she did, like Micah did, by hosting a series of YouTube videos about her selfless act to go to China and adopt a child with special needs, reinforces that stereotype of perfect white adoptive parents. And the reality is, like I mentioned before, there's no perfect parent. There's no perfect adoptive parent. And there are a lot of complications that adoptive parents need to understand and keep learning about after they go through with an adoption. It's not just all those classes that you have to take and all those books and forms that you have to feel, fill out before. There needs to be work afterward. And not just for the the transracial adoptions, if that's what your family is made up of, but it's also for just adoption-informed therapies and trauma that go hand-in-hand with adopting a child. Because adopted children and adopted adults are four times as likely to attempt suicide. Adopted children are more likely to develop a mental health issue like ADHD, ODD, uh, reattachment disorders, uh, things like that. And that needs to be addressed, that needs to be thought about, because if you adopt a child thinking that God will help you deal with everything and your family will be able to handle it because God is there, that is not fully preparing you or your family for the challenges that may come. That is not going to give that child that you promised to be there for and parent and love, no matter what, all that they need by putting it off on God. You are forgetting that God expects you to do the work too. Now, I was raised Catholic. I understand Catholic guilt and um, some of those things. But at the end of the day, God is not going to drop down into your house and help you deal with every single tantrum. It's, it's just not possible you know (laughs) so I want you to really consider how much needs to go into parenting in general and what you are able to give so if God weren't there and if he was busy with somebody else in somebody else's family what are you going to do when that child has autism and has a meltdown for the 56th time that day. What are you going to do if that child has really bad PTSD? What are you going to do if your child develops substance abuse problems down the line? 
what will you do to encourage a social network to support yourself and your child? What are the resources that you can go to? These are things that you need to consider and you need to plan for because the stats are there. Adoption can be a great option for families and for the children. But there needs to be an open dialogue about the challenges that can and often do occur later on down the road. And now, Micah may have gone into this adoption with the best intentions. But it intentions are not enough when the going gets tough. There needs to be a level of dedication in adoptions that go above being selfless. It, it, it needs to be almost like a habit to realize that as a parent, you don't have all the answers and that it's okay to ask for help because even just a biological parent, like I wasn't prepared for my son to have ADHD and autism. I wasn't prepared for that, but it was my job as his parent to learn everything I could about this and do whatever I could to help him get the best treatment and help him feel comfortable and help him every single day in his life. And it's hard some days. I know how hard it can get with the meltdowns. And I have PTSD, so I can sympathize to some of the things that he experiences with sensory and triggers and things like that. And if you're an adoptive parent or just a parent in general and you never had to experience any mental health or um, physical disabilities before, it can be hard for you to relate. It can be hard for you to have enough patience to deal with that on a day-to-day basis. And the reality is when you are caring for a person with disabilities, caregiver burnout is a lot. It's real. It happens. So you need to think about that and think about ways to combat things like caregiver burnout if you even consider adopting a child with disabilities. Who's going to be there when you pass away one day? Do you have family and friends and a support network to support that child when you're not there, even if you are doing everything you can to parent them? And is your partner 100% on board? Like, Micah talked about how her husband wasn't really into adoption at first, and so that could have also been a thing that played into it. We don't know. We don't know what behind, went on behind closed doors. But adoption is, is such a big commitment that if you are going into this type of thing thinking, hey, I want to help a child. I want to save a kid. That's what I want to do. I've always thought about that since I was a kid myself. I've always wanted to save a kid. That You're not ready to adopt if that's the type of mentality that you're going with. You need to do more. And you need to learn more. And you need to listen 
more. And that's one of the biggest things that I have found to be an issue with adoptive parents is that they often will say a lot of the right things or ask a lot of questions. But when people come back with information that doesn't fit what they want to hear, they aren't fully absorbing that or they even deflect it. Uh, I'm in a couple adoptive parent groups um, for research for my book, and I see it all the time. I see new or like people interested in adoption and they'll ask a question or they'll ask about adopting an older kid or a kid with disabilities and and then other adoptive parents will be like, hey, have you thought about these things? Or even adoptee will be like, um, maybe you should look into that or, you know, a lot of the times like it can be difficult to adopt out of age order or something like that. And then that person who is just you know, wide-eyed and bushy-tailed looking at adoption for the first time um, will deflect or even come back with anger or delete their post and then say this group isn't the group for them or whatever. And it just blows my mind because if that person goes on to adopt and takes classes and just like, you know, nods and goes ahead, because how many people have taken a class in high school and were like, okay, yeah, this is it, and then you just memorize the information you do to pass and then that's it and then you forget about it how often does that happen with adoptive parents and I think about those questions and then I look at the statistics and how often disruptions and dissolutions happen and the answer is it's too often it's too often that things like this are happening there's too often one time is too much when a child when a child has to face traumas like these and being removed from one home is traumatic but being removed from multiple homes so my whole point of this episode was to get adoptive parents and even adoptees to to think about these issues and to understand that it's okay to be upset by things like this and it's okay to discuss things like that with your families, even if they try to tell you that that's not the norm or, you know, don't want to talk about things like this because it's a tough conversation to have. It's a tough experience to learn that these things happen in adoption and that the perfect image that a lot of influencers and celebrities they they post about adopting these children from other countries and stuff and you just see happy families you see happy families in videos you see happy families in pictures all over the news and everywhere and it makes it seem so simple and so easy and it can be very frustrating and discouraging for not just adoptees for, for, I believe, adoptive parents, that it holds you to this unbearably high standard where you have to be perfect all the time. And as an adoptee, I can say that I don't want my parents to be perfect because no one's perfect. But I believe that the whole issue here is that if 
adoptive parents and the media and whatever are willing to put such a huge light on the beautiful side of adoption and the happily ever afters, that causes problems down the line. Because if you have adopted a child and it turns out that you don't know what to do when some of these behaviors or um, disorders pop up and it might make you feel like you're not doing enough. And I feel that just as a regular mom, you know, you see the Instagram Instagram influencers all the time with the picture perfect houses and the house is always clean. There's a fresh little bento boxes for lunch every single day. And how am I as just a biological mom to compete with that type of mentality when I'm not even supposed to fit that perfect box of the the savior, the adoptive parent or the adoptive parent that comes in and adopts a kid, you're supposed to have everything handled because you decided to adopt, you know? Uh, I believe that holds you guys to an unbearably high standard. And it can make people afraid to ask for help when you need it. So, I wish that influencers, you know, you, you take a, a big, deep look at what you're doing and what you're posting. And the fact that sharing an adoptee's story, especially for, for profit like Micah did, she made thousands of dollars off of videos and Instagram posts and whatever that included Huxley. She had so many deals that came from the following that she got from including him in all those videos. Off of his story. That child will be able to Google his name and see that the world knew more about him before he could understand more about himself and stressful thing for adoptees to handle. And I am very thankful that this type of social media didn't exist when I was first adopted. Because I already struggle with the fact that my family knew more about me as an adoptee. My extended family, they all knew I was adopted before I did. And my mom even told some friends at work, like, they knew that I was adopted. They knew more about my story than I did. So I can't even imagine with kids that are adopted now in this day and age, and they have to face their story being put out there. Their story being told from their adopted parents' point of view or the news's point of view. Before they even get a chance to digest their lives and what they feel about it. It's already being shaped for them. So one day as they get older, as they're trying to process everything, as they're processing why they weren't able to stay with their birth mom and birth dad, why extended family didn't take them, and why they had to leave another country. Huxley's gonna have to deal with that. Huxley's gonna have to deal with the entire world knowing such personal information about himself because his adoptive parents thought it was okay to post that. So I hope that adoptive parents that are listening to this, you really take a look at your social media. And I doubt you all, or even some of you, are at the lengths that Micah did with um, Huxley. But just take a look at what you're willing to post about your son or daughter 
or child, take a look at the aspects that could be extremely personal and detrimental to their health by you choosing to shape the narrative surrounding their adoption. And a lot of the times it's, oh, 365 days in foster care and he finally has a forever family. You know, like, oh, I never thought my life would be complete without him and then we adopted him from China and like, whatever it is, you know, you gotta think about how you would like your your lives being on full display of the entire internet. And how the internet is forever. Once you post something, it's there. And you can't take that back. And as adoptive parents, it's it's your responsibility to not think solely about how it makes you and your family perceive, but how your child is a living, breathing human who will develop their own feelings their own opinions about everything, including their adoption. And there are a lot of adoptees who love their adoptive families. 100% they love them. But they still have problems with the concept and the system of adoption because there are systematic problems that go on with adoptions. And it's okay for them to be upset at adoption and not like adoption, but to love you. It's possible for adoptees to do that. It's possible for me to criticize the adoption system and certain practices that adoptive parents go through with and certain practices my own parents went through that, but to still love my parents. I still love my parents 100%. My love has never wavered for them. I never thought of them not as my quote-unquote real parents. But that doesn't absolve my parents for all the wrongs that they have done and all the problematic things that have happened in adoption that allowed not just my parents, but dozens of other parents to think that it was okay to hide their child's adoption story. And just like with Micah, there has been a system that has supported adoptive parents to profit off of their adopted children by putting them on YouTube and Instagram and that sort of thing. And just disclosing medical information at all about their child. She was doing that before they had even finalized the adoption. She was already talking on YouTube about medical diagnosis that, that, that doctors had put on him before she he was even technically her child. And... Not all adoptive parents do things like this, but some do. And it's important. It's very important that we discuss these things and that we listen to adoptive voices because in order to help fix the system and to help make permanent changes to decrease the amount of disruptions, to decrease the amount of dissolutions of adoptions, and to help decrease the amount of attempted suicides of adoptees is by addressing these issues. Now, I know I was very passionate during this episode, but I really, really hope that you take from it some information and not just judgment, you know? 
And of course, if you have any questions or concerns, please reach out. I'm so glad that you joined me today. And if you would like to hear more from Adoptee Thoughts, make sure to subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. And if you'd like to learn more about me, you can check out my website, adopteethoughts.com. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day.